Open your copy of God's Word with me this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And you're asking why we're not in Acts like we have been over most of the year, and that's because we're taking a short break for three weeks uh, to talk about discipling, to talk about helping others to follow Jesus. Uh, You have your worship guide uh, with you this morning on the very front of your worship guide, is our mission statement as a church. If you're a member of uh, First West this morning, would you read that mission statement with me? First Baptist West Albuquerque exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. What we do, what we exist to do as a body of believers is to make God famous by making disciples of Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's our mission. That's who we are as a church. That's what we are pressing toward. We know that that is what God has called us to. It's a mission that comes straight out of Scripture in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20. When Jesus, after having been raised from the dead, prior to ascending to heaven, says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We know we must, as a church, as followers of Jesus, make disciples. But what are we talking about? What do we mean when we, when we say we must make disciples? What, is, what does that look like? What, is, what does that mean for us as a church? You may know the old adage, I'm sure it's familiar with you by now, give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you'll feed him for a lifetime. Now many people, uh, given hungry people, given the prospect of a filet of fish or a fish hook, uh, in the moment will probably choose the filet of fish because that's going to fill my belly and that seems the uh, most pressing uh, need in my life right now without seeing the value of the fishing hook which has the ability to provide sustenance, nourishment uh, for a lifetime if you learn how to use it. Jesus calls his disciples to make disciples. He calls his disciples to be fishers of men, as we'll see in our text this morning. And that word disciple itself means simply generically learner or student, someone who is following after, following the example of another, a a teacher, a mentor, an expert. A disciple is one who is being taught something by someone greater. But in the biblical sense, in the sense of the New Testament, a disciple is someone who follows not just anyone in particular, but who follows Jesus. And not just follows Jesus, but is also changed by Jesus. And a disciple is not just someone who follows Jesus and is changed by Jesus, but the Bible tells us, and we'll see in our text this morning, that a disciple is someone who also does the work that Jesus has commanded him to do. We as a body of believers, a family of faith here in this church, exist to make disciples. To make those who will follow, be changed by, and do the work that Jesus has commanded. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 will be the focus of our time together this morning. Let's all stand together as we read God's word. Matthew chapter 4, beginning verse 18. Matthew, the gospel writer, says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
I want to take a brief break right here and let you know that I laughed really hard this week when Pastor Danny and I were meeting on Monday to talk about this text. As Matthew says, they were casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Like, who, what, what other kind of person casts a net into the sea? But a fisherman. But thank you, Matthew, for that explanation. Jesus saw these two brothers, Simon and Andrew, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. God bless his church through the reading of his word. Be seated this morning. As we talk about discipling or, or disciple making, making disciples as a church, which is what we're going to look at over the next three weeks, I think it helps us most especially today to define what we mean, to define some terms by what we mean when we say disciple. What is a disciple? In fact, we can't know how to make disciples if we don't know what sort of disciple it is that we're trying to make, right? So what is a disciple? This text in Matthew chapter 4 helps us really clearly to define in, in clear ways what a disciple is. First of all, this text shows us that disciples are those who answer the call of Jesus. Disciples are those who answer the call of Jesus. Jesus says to them, follow me. They answer the call of Jesus in two different ways. First, they answer the call to trust Jesus. They answer the call to trust him. Jesus says, follow me. These disciples, Simon and Andrew, uh, if we look at the gospel of John early on in the gospel of John, probably had already met Jesus and known of him some. But now Jesus is inviting them to follow him, to go with him, to learn from him, to follow in his footsteps. This is an invitation for them to, to place trust in this person that they are following. In fact, for one person to follow another implies some sort of relationship of trust. You, know, you wouldn't follow somebody who's, who's walking along a narrow cliffside, uh, following in their footsteps, if you didn't have some sort of trust in them in the direction that they were going. These disciples answer the call to trust Jesus. And disciples today, you who also are following Christ, you are, have answered the call to follow Jesus and the call to trust in him because we can know Jesus. He has made himself known to us and he also knows us. We can trust Jesus because of this relationship of knowledge with us and Jesus. Y'all focus on me this morning. We're all right. We can trust Jesus, uh, friends, because he knows us and has made himself known to us. His disciples demonstrated that clearly in John chapter 6. Uh, there's this episode in Jesus's life where he goes to, uh, he's out and he's, he's preaching around and there's these thousands of people who are following him and they're all hungry one day and nobody has anything to eat. So Jesus miraculously feeds this group of thousands of people. Now, in the night, Jesus goes from that one side of the lake where he fed the thousands to another side of the uh, to the other side of the lake to spend some time alone, very likely some time in prayer. But in the morning, he finds that those thousands of people have followed him again to the other side of the lake. And he looks to these thousands of of people and he says, you have followed after me because I filled your bellies. I gave you free lunch yesterday. And then Jesus says something absolutely crazy and mind blowing. 
He says, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And John tells us in John chapter six, and when Jesus said this really hard thing, eat my flesh and drink my blood, that many, most, all of those thousands left. And it was just Jesus and the 12, the 12 disciples. And he turns to the 12 and he says, are you guys going to go with them? I said something kind of crazy, right? Are you going to go and follow their lead? And Peter looks at Jesus with all of the trust of a disciple. And he says in John chapter six, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy one of God. The call to answer Jesus is a call to trust him. It's a call to that, that, that Simon Peter at least has displayed that he has answered. He trusts Jesus. Jesus says crazy things. They sound crazy to our ears. But Peter says that he knows that Jesus is the only one of God. He knows he's a son of God. And Peter says, there's nowhere else to go. Whatever, whatever mind-blowing things you might say, these are the words of life. We have no better choice. We trust you, Jesus. We can trust him because we know him and he's made himself known to us. But we can also uh, uh, trust Jesus because he knows who we are. In John chapter 10, as Jesus tells those who are listening that he is the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. He says in John 10 verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know Me, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus, the all knowing son of God does not call you to trust him by accident or to trust him flippantly or to trust him just a little bit. Neither does Jesus call you to trust him because he needs your friendship, Christian. There is nothing that the all powerful son of God needs from any of us, but yet wonderfully he knows us. And he knows us better than friends, even we know ourselves. And he, the son of God, desires to be known by us. And so he willingly sets aside his right to remain with the father in heaven. He becomes human like us as he is born uh, by miraculous conception of the Virgin Mary, living a sinless life in part so that we could know him. To know this Jesus who loves supremely by becoming human so that we can know him leads us then to love him. And in loving Jesus, because we know him and he knows us, we can trust him with our lives. Disciples are those who have answered the call of Jesus. It's most particularly at first the call to trust him. But also disciples are those who have answered the call of Jesus to follow him. Follow me, Jesus says. Now, the call to follow Jesus is not an easy call. In fact, Jesus himself tells us that the call to follow him is a call to deny yourself, to die to yourself. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his instrument of death and execution and, and this, this uh, article of, of shame and despisement. Take that up and follow me. Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And to know Christ is to love him. To know Jesus is to love him. For, for me to know my wife is to love my wife. It's not just to know things about her, but it's to, to know her personally. Yeah. 
to know who she is and what she loves and what she doesn't love and, and what makes her happy and what pleases her. And in knowing her, I grow in my love for her. In the same way, when we know Jesus, we come to love Jesus. In fact, you cannot really know Jesus without loving Jesus. And that's his call, isn't it? To know him, to trust him, to love him, and to follow him. Follow me, Jesus says. But in following Jesus, we're making a statement about our own will and our own desires. When we follow Jesus, we are declaring that his will, that his desires, his direction, his intentions are greater. They're superior. They're far better than anything we can imagine or conceive of for ourselves. We are saying when we follow Jesus that the way I lived my life before was insufficient. It was lacking. Worse still, it was dangerous and deadly and leading me to an eternity separated from God in hell. We are saying when we follow Jesus that true life is found in knowing, trusting, loving, following Jesus. And all of this, all that Jesus does in calling those disciples to follow him, all of that is is wonderfully contrary to everything we know about discipleship 2,000 years ago. Now, discipleship outside of the area of Christianity looked like this. You had, uh, uh, I, whether it was in, in the realm of Greek philosophy or uh, Hebrew, uh, Jewish, rabbinic tradition, you have teachers and you have disciples. Now, if you're a a Greek philosopher and there is a a student who wants to learn from you to uh, learn your sort of your your mode of philosophy and and to grow from that, to kind of carry on your legacy of thought and that sort of thing, that student would have to prove to the philosopher that they were worthy of being that philosopher's student. They would have to somehow show expertise in an area or demonstrate their worthiness to become a disciple. And then on top of that, they have to pay tuition. Sounds like college, right? On the other side of things in the Jewish world, when you have a Jewish rabbi, if you wanted to learn from a Jewish rabbi, like we know Paul was a student of the rabbi Gamaliel. uh, So Paul would have had to, in the same way that a a philosophy student would have to go to a philosopher, Paul would have had had to have gone to Gamaliel and said, can I be your disciple? May I learn from you? These are the things I appreciate about how you handle and teach the word of God. These are things that I know about the word of God. Can, Can I be your student? Will you teach me? But Jesus, doesn't wait for his disciples to come to him. He goes to the lake, to the seaside, where they are casting their nets into the sea. For as we know, they are fishermen. And Jesus says to them, the rabbi says to the students, the, 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 the chief teacher says to those who, who will follow him, he, he doesn't say, would you like to come follow me? He doesn't say, hey, I'm here. If you want to follow me, you can plead your case and we'll see. No, he goes to Simon and Andrew and to James and to John and he looks them in the face and says, you follow me and I'll tell you what I'll do. The call to follow Jesus is not a call that, that we call out to Jesus. Jesus, may I please follow you? Friends, he's already come to us and said, you follow me. Disciples know Jesus. They answer the call to follow Jesus because they trust him and they want to follow after him. Answering this call to follow Jesus is is not answering a call to, to follow Jesus only when times are easy. It's not to follow Jesus for what you can get for yourself. The call to follow Jesus is is to know him intimately and personally and to submit to him as Lord. 
to say, wherever you lead, I will go because you're in charge and I'm not. And, and Christians today, we in, we in, in America, in our super independent, uh, autonomous culture, we don't like talking like this. We would rather say things like, what, what you need to do if you want to be a disciple of Jesus is to accept Jesus. Like he's, like he's out there waiting, just like, oh, please love me. Please love me, people. Look, Jesus, the all-powerful son of God, does not need you to love him. But he wants you to know him. And so he reaches out his hand. He extends the call. He says, follow me. Follow me. Submit to me. Come after me. I'll make you fishers of men. The call to follow Jesus is it's not a call that we take upon ourselves. It's a call that we answer as Jesus, uh, as Jesus holds it out to us. Now, I, I know a few people in my life who have answered this call to submit to Christ. Uh, and, and that call so clear uh, as my own wife, Nikki. And so I've asked her this morning if she would just take a couple of minutes to share with us the call that she heard from Christ when she came to trust him as Lord and to share that with you, Nikki. Um, yes, uh, growing up, I was not a part of a family that went to church. In fact, Christmas and Easter um, wasn't even on the docket for us. Um, as a matter of fact, even talking about God was not a normal thing in my heart or in my family. Um, however, when I was in high school, I had a good friend named Kara. And one of her family rules was if I was to spend the night at her house on Saturday night, I had to go to church with them on Sunday morning. I didn't have anything better to do, so I was like, sure, why not? Well, that became a very regular thing. I started going to church on Sundays, going to youth group on Wednesdays, and learning about God became a little bit more familiar. However, I didn't know who God was at that time. It was the summer between my freshman and sophomore year. We went to youth camp. It was in Panama City, Florida. And actually, Chris Tomlin was our worship leader. And I don't remember the speaker's name, which is kind of bad. Um, but I remember his face, and I remember him keep talking about how to surrender our life to, to God, to have a relationship with Jesus. Um, it, it didn't make sense to me. I didn't know what he was talking about. But now what I know is the worship and response time, we all stood up and we were singing a song. So I was standing, singing with a thousand other teenagers, um, Amazing Love. And most of you guys know this song. Um, but it wasn't until I think it's the bridge of the song. Um, it says, you are my king. And you repeat it. You are my king. Jesus, you are my king. And I sat down and I was very overwhelmed. And I started crying and I didn't even know why I was crying. But I was like, I, I can't sing this song. Jesus, you're not my king. I don't even know what that means. Um, but I do very clearly remember saying, all right, God, you're my king. I want you to be my king. I surrender. And I, it was a very clear call to surrender my life to him. And he said, Nikki, stand. Stand and sing with confidence that you know me. That you are declaring, I am your king. So in that moment, I stood up. And very clearly, overwhelmed by the spirit, just knowing this is my surrendering. This is the calling of my life to you. Now, I still didn't know anything about anything. Um, I didn't know about the, the only reason why I had a Bible is because it was on the list of things to bring to camp. So I went and bought myself a Bible. Um, so I didn't know how to read it. I didn't know you were supposed to read it. I didn't know how to pray. Um, in fact, that night I was saying, God, what is, or I didn't even say God. I said, grandpa, I would always pray grandpa, grandpa, help me make the soccer goal. You know, and my grandfather is not even a believer. 
you know, so it was just, it was weird. But when I got back home from camp, I awkwardly shared with my parents what had happened to me, not really being able to clearly state what happened. But we had some amazing people in our church. They knew my parents weren't believers, so they discipled me. They grew me up. They taught me how to read the Bible. They taught me how to pray. They prayed with me. They taught me the importance of obedience and church membership. And it all started with that calling, that clear calling. Surrender your life to me, Nikki. Surrender your life to me. Disciples are those who answer the call to follow Jesus because they trust him and they want to surrender their lives to him, to follow him as king. But disciples are also those who are changed by Jesus. They're those who answer the call to Jesus and they're those who are changed by Jesus. Verse 19 of our text today, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you. I will make you. Jesus makes a promise of doing transformational work in the lives of these men that he is calling to himself. Biblically, from the New Testament, we know that Jesus changes us in at least three different ways. He changes us initially at our conversion. When we submit to him as king, when we say, Jesus, my life is yours. I repent of my sin. I'm being obedient to you. Jesus changes us initially at that moment of what we call conversion by giving a spiritual life. John chapter 3, you know the story. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night wondering who Jesus is and what kind of teacher he is and that sort of thing. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, who's a teacher of the law, if you want to have eternal life, you must be born again. You've got to have new life put in you, new spiritual life. Paul picks up on that same thing in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says in verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with, uh, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, Paul says, uh, God made us alive together with Christ. Jesus changes us initially at conversion when we trust him for the first time by giving us new spiritual life. The moment we place our faith and trust in Jesus as the one who gave his life for sins and was raised from the dead, we are immediately changed, immediately made alive. The Bible puts that change in the most dramatic terms possible. You go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. Jesus changes us initially as we trust in him. But Jesus changes his disciples, not just initially, but also continually by through their life, through our lives, transforming our desires. Following Jesus, we said, means denying ourselves and taking up the will and direction of Jesus, taking up our cross to follow him. This is the constant call of Jesus to disciples today, to be continually changed by him. So, friend, if you are here and you think that in following Jesus, you can live your life however you want to live your life, and there are no consequences because God's grace is greater than your sin and all that sort of thing, which it is, well, you have clearly misunderstood, number one, the grace of God, and number two, the call of Jesus. Because the call of Jesus is not just to walk down an aisle and to pray a prayer one time, but the call of Jesus is to submit to his lot, to, to submit to him as king every day of your life. Not to just be given spiritual life initially, but to be changed by Jesus every day. That's the call of a disciple. It's the call to, as we read in Ephesians 4, to put off your old self and to put on the new self. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, when Paul says, don't be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed 
by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus changes his disciples continually throughout their lives. Follow me and I will make you something, Jesus tells his disciples. Jesus changes his disciples initially when they trust Jesus the first time. He changes his disciples continually throughout their life. And here's a point that I think often we, we, we just don't keep in the front of our minds. It gets put on the back burner or stuffed in a mental closet somewhere. But Jesus changes us initially. He changes us continually. But Jesus will also change us finally in the resurrection when we spend eternity with him. We often look forward to eternity in the presence of Jesus. But I fear that sometimes we forget what that really entails. Eternity in the presence of Jesus isn't just some pie in the sky, by and by, wistful longing for a day when we won't ache in the morning or feel the grief of another person's death or, or, or a day where we'll finally know the safety and security of never having to worry about how you're going to pay your bills or feed the kids. Far more than any of these things, our life in Christ culminates in our being raised from the dead to be finally made like Christ with bodies imperishable and eternally untouched by sin. It is to be with minds that never have an errant or immoral thought and hearts that never stumble toward rebellion. That's what it means to be finally changed in the, rebe- in the resurrection. These are all the longings of our souls that are magnified when we follow Jesus. We want more to live free of sin when we're following Jesus because he's changing us to love his righteousness more than our sin. We are growing in our longing for a day where we won't wake up with aches and pains and moans and groans because Jesus... Jesus is teaching us that this life is not forever and this body is not all that there is. That There is something better waiting for us. The resurrection is not merely a heavenly finish line for us Christians. It is the completion of the salvation that Jesus has promised to his disciples. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 50 to 53. Paul says this to the Church at Corinth, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. He's speaking of dying, but we shall all be changed. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be changed by Jesus. Initially, the first time when you trust in him as Lord, continually, day by day, as he transforms and as you submit to him, transforming your heart's desires and the thoughts of your mind to look more like his. And then he'll change us finally in the resurrection where we will put on imperishable bodies by his own power and live with him for eternity. Listen, friends, disciples of Jesus will be changed to be like Jesus. They will grow in Christ likeness. Disciples of Jesus will be changed to be like him. They will grow in Christ likeness. One of the best illustrations of this continual need to be changed by Jesus, especially during our, our at conversion and then especially during our lives and what it looks like at the end, uh, comes from one volume of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. It's volume four if you're reading it in the order in which he published it. It's a different volume if you read it the wrong way. Um, 
And in the voyage of the Don Treader, there is a character named Eustace Scrub, who is a cousin of the Pevensey family. You know, um, uh, um, I forgot all of their names. Corey, help me, bro. Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy are the Pevenseys from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And Eustace Scrub is their cousin who appears in this fourth, uh, uh, I said fourth book, it's the third book, I lied. The third book. Anyway, it doesn't matter. While in the course of the book, Eustace is with the younger two Pevensey children, and they are on this boat searching out these seven lost islands uh, uh, east of Narnia. And uh, they arrive upon one island, and there Eustace finds, he goes off wandering by himself, and he finds this cave. And in this cave is a giant pile of gold, and atop the pile of gold is an armband uh, made of gold and and encrusted with with different jewels, and he falls in love with this thing. And so he slips this armband onto his arm, and almost immediately he begins to feel strange. And he uh, his arm begins to swell, and the, the tightness of the band on his arm begins to hurt and, and, and he eventually falls asleep. And when he awakes, he comes to find out that he's been transformed into a dragon, that the selfishness of his heart in stealing this gold armband has transformed him into what his heart says he really is. He flies about. He can't talk anymore. He's trying to communicate with the others who he is. And they finally figure it all out. They figure out that this dragon is, is Eustace, their younger cousin. But nobody knows what to do about the boy. And so one night in just his depression and his, his forlorning, he flies off away from the camp and, and goes off into the mountains. And when he wakes up, he finds uh, this babbling uh, sort of uh, pool that's just bubbling up. And, and it looks very soothing. And so he, um, uh, as he's preparing to go in, he sees a lion and the lion, uh, without saying words, communicates to Eustace that before he gets into the, to, into the pool that he must undress. And so he's thinking, that's kind of strange. I'm a dragon. I don't have any clothes on anyway. I don't know what he means by undress. And so he starts to think about uh, what other reptiles do and snakes shed their skin. And he goes, well, maybe that works with dragons too. So with his gnarly dragon claw, he starts scratching at his arm and he finds scales starting to come off. He scratches a little bit harder and a little bit deeper and a whole layer of skin comes off and he, he peels off eventually his whole layer of skin and is about to step into the pool when he realizes he's still a dragon. So he does the same thing again, scratches his skin, peels off a layer, still dragon underneath, scratches his skin, peels off a layer, still a dragon underneath. This happens several times until finally he looks at the lion who is standing there with, with disappointment in his eyes, not, not knowing how to do what the lion has told him to do. And immediately he knows again, the lion speaks to him without saying words, you must let me undress you. And with one swipe of his claw, the lion uh, slices his claw into Eustace's flesh, his dragon skin arm. And Eustace says it hurt all, all at once more than anything you can imagine and yet felt so good at the same time. And as the lion finishes undressing Eustace, he finds that his dragon skin laying on the ground is, is all finally gone. And he's got pink, you know, eight-year-old boy flesh now. He's been made a boy again and he gets into the water and at first the water stings so bad. But over time it becomes the the most refreshing feeling he's ever had. 
He comes out of the pool and the lion says, now I must dress you. And the the lion dresses him. And now Eustace is clothed with new clothes that he didn't have before. And his his boy skin is, is back again. He's no longer a dragon. And he rushes back off to the camp to tell everybody about what happened. And he's telling uh, Edmund, one of the Pevensey children, about what all that, that happened. And Edmund looks at Eustace and he says, Eustace, I think you've seen Aslan. We all know that Aslan serves as like a type, a picture, a representation of, of the kind of person that Christ is. The truth of the matter is that all of us have, have evil, evil, nasty, ugly, selfish dragon hearts. And if, the out, if our outsides reflected what we were inside, we would all look much like Eustace. What we need, though, is to be changed. And this is not a change. New life in Christ and continual changing by Christ. Uh, the change that comes finally in the resurrection is not a change, friends, that you can, can bring about on your own. You need Jesus to undress you. You need Jesus to show you the reality of your sin. And you need to trust in Jesus who died on the cross to take the penalty for your sin. That your outside dragon self might be removed and you might be renewed in spirit and then in eternity in body as well. To be changed by Jesus as a disciple of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus answer the call to follow him. Disciples of Jesus are changed uh, by Jesus. They grow in Christ likeness. And to be a disciple of Jesus is to know him and to be caused to grow in him, to be changed by him. But to be a disciple of Jesus is also to be commissioned by Jesus. Disciples are those who are commissioned by Jesus. Verse 19 of Matthew 4 says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. These dudes, Simon and Andrew, James and John are men who fish for fish. But Jesus is a fisher of men. He is casting out his call to these guys to follow him. And he tells to to these first disciples, you follow me and I'll make you into the kind of person that I am. I will bring you into the mission that I am about. In this simple call, Jesus tells those that he invites to follow him that he will make them into what he wants them to be. And what he wants them to be are those who are doing what he himself is doing with them. These fishermen in Matthew 4 are being netted and hauled in by Jesus to be made into themselves those who net and haul in others for Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be commissioned by Jesus. It says to have our life shaped by him such that our, our will, our desires, the purpose of our life looks like his. One scholar said, in studying the way that the New Testament uses that word disciple, that disciple always implies the existence of a personal attachment which shapes the whole life of the one who's being described as a disciple and which leaves no doubt as to who is deploying the formative power. A disciple in the New Testament is one who is in a close relationship, a personal attachment with Jesus, who is having their lives shaped by Jesus. They're not shaping their own lives to look like him. They're not doing things uh, on their own initiative to be like him, but they are being formed by the master. And to be called by Jesus is to be changed by Jesus in order to join the work of Jesus. And the work that Jesus calls his disciples to is not to create for themselves a, an insular bubble to keep them separate from the pains of the world. 
but rather to take to their boats and to cast their nets into the wild sea of humanity and with all of the conviction and compassion of their master to call out to those who are dead and drowning in their sins. See Jesus, trust Jesus, be brought to life by his saving power, submit your stubborn will to him and live. To follow Jesus is to cast the net into the sea of humanity that all who would heed the call to follow Jesus might be brought in and be made disciples. Disciples of Jesus are not bench-sitting people watchers who lament the parade of lost souls tramping off to hell. The disciples of Jesus are Coast Guard-style rescue divers who answer the urgent call of Christ to extend a lifeline to those who are drowning in their sin. Disciples of Jesus are fishers of men. They are themselves disciple-makers. And they're not making disciples of themselves. They're making other disciples of Jesus. So in being called to make disciples, we know that we're not being called to make little Stevens or little Gregs or little Joes or little Susans, right? We're being called to make those who are like Jesus, who are hearing his and answering his call to follow him, to trust him, to submit to him, who, who are submitting their lives to being changed by Jesus and who themselves will become fishers of men like we have been made to be like Jesus, Disciples of Jesus, friends, go to the lost with gospel urgency. Disciples of Jesus do what Jesus did. They go to the lost with gospel urgency. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus himself gives his own personal mission statement to those who are listening. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You want to follow Jesus? You want to do what he does? You want to be changed by him to join his, his mission in the world? Then you do what he does. You seek and you save the lost. Having yourself been lost and been sought and been saved by Jesus. What is a disciple? We talk about making disciples as a church. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who answers the call of Jesus. Who answers the call to know him as Lord. A disciple is the one who is changed by Jesus, who is submitted to Christ to have their lives changed by him, to grow in Christ's likeness in this life that we might enjoy eternity with him in the next. And disciples are those who join the work of Jesus. Disciples are those who go to the lost with gospel urgency. That's what a disciple is. That's what a disciple is. And for us to make disciples... Church, we must be disciples. For us to make followers of Jesus, we must be faithful followers of Jesus ourselves. We can't join the work of Christ unless we first submitted to him as Lord. And so that is the, the all-important call to us this morning. Whether you have known Christ for 60 years or you've never yet placed faith in Jesus, yet even now this morning, you're not trusting Christ the way that we have talked about him this morning. The most important thing you can do is submit every atom, every molecule of your existence, every moment of your life to Jesus as King, to Jesus as Lord, because he has paid for your sins in a way that you can never hope to pay for on your own. Because he has given you the option of life when you were already dead in your sins. And to follow Jesus because, because he invites you to follow him. Not because he commands you, not because he forces you, because he calls you. 
It is a privilege to be called by the Lord. It is a privilege to respond to Jesus. Yes, I will follow you. I will submit to you. I will be changed by by you. I will go where you go and do what you do in obedience to you. That's what a disciple is. Friends, are you a disciple of Jesus today? Here's some working definitions for us to bear in mind over the next several weeks. And you have your worship guide there. There's some space on the, on the page opposite the, the notes page. I want you to write some of these things down because we're going to be using these words uh, uh, over the next couple of weeks as we talk about making disciples, helping others follow Jesus. First of all, define the word disciple. Here's a long definition, and then I'll give you a short one. A long definition of a disciple of Jesus is this. It's a person who trusts in the person and work of Jesus Christ and is submitting their life through repentance of sin and obedience to the commands of Christ to be formed by Christ for the purpose of fulfilling Christ's commission. Here's the short definition. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. A disciple is someone who faithfully, lovingly follows Jesus, submits to him. What is then discipleship? What, what, what is that word? That, 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 how do we define that word that we, uh, that we use often, discipleship? Well, discipleship is not uh, a series of Sunday night Bible studies, but discipleship is the, the ship that you're in with Jesus, as someone has once said to me. Discipleship is the ongoing process of following Christ as Lord and being conformed into his character for his mission. Discipleship is not a thing that you do. It is a process that you work through and allow Christ to work in you. Discipleship is, and here's the short definition, the lifelong process of faithfully following Jesus. Does discipleship then ever end, church, by that definition? No, not till we meet Christ face to face in the resurrection. Our process of discipleship will never end. So a disciple, someone who faithfully, someone who's following Jesus. The discipleship is the lifelong process of faithfully following Jesus. And now the word discipling, that might be a new word to you. You could also substitute the term disciple making, but there's more syllables than that. Discipling. What is discipling? We're going to be talking about discipling for the next two weeks after this. What is, what do we mean by that? Discipling is this. Here's the long definition. I'll give you the short one. The long definition is uh, discipling is the act of helping others follow Christ by lending intentional spiritual support in that person's process of being conformed to Christ. I'll put it more succinctly. Discipling is this intentionally helping others faithfully follow Jesus. Intentionally helping others faithfully follow Jesus. So if you are a disciple Friends, you are saying that you are one who has submitted your life to Christ as not just as as a teacher, but as Lord and as king. And that you're submitted to him working in you throughout your life to be made more like him. Your discipleship, then, if it is faithful discipleship, will be lifelong. And it will be a life spent of being changed into the image of Christ, into the person that he wants you to be. And if you are faithfully following Jesus, you will do what he has called you to do in making disciples. You will disciple others. You will intentionally give help to other believers in Christ that they might also faithfully follow Jesus. That's what discipling is. That's what disciple disciple making is. 
Helping others follow Jesus. And a lot of times we get into our heads, and, and over the next couple of weeks we'll try to unpack this a little bit, but we get into our heads this, this idea that discipling or disciple-making is this, is this big program of things, and you have to follow these you know, 17 steps to do it the right way. And, and we can get really encumbered by all of the, the stuff that comes along in the workbooks and everything that are, that are made and written for us to follow through when we're talking about making disciples. But very, very simply... Making disciples, discipling others is as simple as intentionally helping others faithfully follow Jesus. That's what, we, that's what we have said God has called us as a church to do. To glorify God by making disciples of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the only question left remaining, church, is if we will do this. And how obediently shall we do it? I hope to help us over the next uh, two weeks following today. Uh, next Sunday and the Sunday after to talk more about who we should disciple, who we should help follow Jesus, and then uh, uh, the first Sunday in October to talk about how we do that. We know we must, but now let's answer the questions, who should I disciple? Who should I, who should I help to follow Jesus? And then the Sunday after we'll ask and answer the question, how do I do that? How do I do that? Friend, you today may not yet be a disciple of Jesus. You may not yet call yourself a follower of Christ. And in a moment, we're going to have a a time where we sing a song of response. And we who are following Jesus already are going to sing out of obedience in our hearts to continue following Jesus this way. But if you haven't followed Christ already today, you can make that decision. Today, if you're hearing, if you're sensing Christ calling to your life like Nikki shared earlier, right? Make me your king. Follow me, even if you don't know what all that entails, but you know that you have no option other than being obedient to Jesus, saying yes to Jesus today. Then as we sing, you, friend, who want to follow Christ, who are, who are seeking to answer the call to Jesus it, with, a, with an affirmative yes today, you come and talk with me. I'll be standing down here at the front, ready to greet you, ready to talk with you about how you can become a disciple of Jesus, how you can start following him today. You may not know a whole lot of stuff. Don't worry, we'll help you. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. You come talk to me. Corey Jones, our student minister, will be here as well. Students or anybody else, if I'm busy with someone, you come talk to Corey. He'll help you know how to follow Jesus also, okay? Don't let today go by without faithfully and obediently answering the call of Jesus on your life. Let's pray.